Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast and are also awkwardly looking at each other during. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Um, it's fun to look at, at each other during because sometimes I can see a laugh that I would never have known happened. <laughs> How I feel about your sense of humor up until now has been mostly a mystery. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I record with you multiple times a week, and I, I always walk away from it wondering, wondering what's in it for Adam? <laughs> <laughs> um, also, uh, we just got back from Max FunCon, which was a total hoot. Yeah, um, met tons a lot of fun. Of great friends of DeSoto up there. Yeah. And uh, I think we were planning on recording earlier than this, but we had to record a looking at each other during, and you happened to already have tickets to LA, so... Yeah. It worked out. We didn't actually burn any money that we don't have to burn <laughs> for this for this board game. We just rolled it into a business trip. Yeah. I think I've been hungover for three days straight. Uh-huh. Just that low-level... Nothing feels right or 100% feeling. Sure. Yeah. and uh, Like, it, I'm not in pain. I just feel off. Right. Your your body is not happy with what you've been doing to it. My body frequently is a wonderland. Mm-hmm. And now it is like a broken amusement park <laughs> that is, uh, that's just spraying sewer water everywhere. <laughs> and there's the, the old groundskeeper who's uh, dressing up like a goblin and right. scaring the villagers. Right. Yeah. That, that's my penis. He would have gotten away with it, too. <laughs> you damn kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, what was your favorite part of Max FunCon? Oh, man. Um... We get to see Everything's Coming Up Simpsons right. live, which was really fun. It's like a show on the network that I think has a lot in common with ours in terms of format, but uh, it's about a comedy show, so mm-hmm. it's like a totally different trick, like yeah. like watching them do do material on stuff that's already really funny and like make it its own funny show it was really fun. Yeah, it sure sounds more difficult to make a joke about another joke yeah. than it is to make fun about something quote unquote serious. Yeah. Uh I also really enjoyed the Beef and Dairy Network live show. Yeah, I have to admit that was my first time listening to or seeing the show. I'd only heard by reputation about how funny it was. Yeah. Legit funny. That very, was good. Very funny show. I think that... Uh, Can you imagine doing a show like that as jet-lagged as they were? They talked about being awake for like 30 hours or something. Yeah. That would be terrifying. I will not be performing any Greatest Gen live shows in the condition that they were in. <laughs> yeah. You'd never know it, though. Yeah. They were really great. There were a couple of fun things that I was sad to miss because we were making a very special bonus episode of Friendly Fire on Saturday. Right. But that should be coming out soon, and uh, I'm pretty excited about that. One of the things we missed was Bubble, which is uh, Jordan Morris's new scripted comedy show on Max Fun. Yeah. Um, Everyone I talked to about it uh, said they loved it. Yeah. So um, by its reputation, 
I think it's it's gonna go big. Rob Schulte, the uh, producer of Greatest Discovery and Friendly Fire, got to got to sit in for that, and uh, he said he thinks it might be like one of the best new shows of 2018. That guy knows what he's talking about because he said the th- the same thing about Friendly Fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He had nothing to gain from that at all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and judging from those two predictions, he's batting 50%. <laughs> it was a different Max FunCon this year. Our wives came up with us. Yeah. Uh, that was an, a new experience. And we've like performed at Max FunCon before, but I think that um, our position as like people who have a show on a network has sort of matured it like i think that the max Funcon that we performed live at we were still like Haha, we're getting away with something i can't believe that they're letting us on their network and come and to now feel- they're like would you help empty these garbages <laughs> yeah. it's come to feel more like normal like we're members of the family like we're not the new kids on the block yeah so um it was fun to go in that context yeah i mean the biggest benefit to that is going into a shared space before everyone else and grabbing the first couple of drinks. <laughs> like, hopping a non-existent line yeah. was was a very nice ability to have. Well, that's just because we're good friends with Chris Bowman, and right. he's kind of the guy making the decision about whether it's okay for us to be there or not. Man, Chris Bowman uh, kept me on the right side of fucked up <laughs> most of the weekend. You went pretty hard this weekend like on friday you woke up at 4 30 a.m to catch a flight to la we drove for a few hours up the mountain and you just like tore into max FunCon with a ferocity that i found really impressive i wouldn't have expected it to be the case because like as soon as we got to lake arrowhead i was like looking at my watch like can i make it to midnight will my body let me yeah. And there's like just an energy to the thing that I was able to tap into, which was like, I don't want this fun thing to stop. Yeah. I am willing to pay the price. <laughs> and I paid it over and over again. Like I consistently got maybe five hours of sleep night after night. And wow. it, it always felt worth it because I think the most fun conversations I had while I was there were the ones that happened between 1 and one thirty. Yeah. Like when things were really off the rails and and zany and fun it's such a great environment too because it's like attendees and people teaching classes and performers are all just kind of like intermingling and right it's not uh there's not a cast system there right i mean the only people with sky priority are us and it's just because we're friends with chris bowman right (laughs) yeah but yeah like sitting down for for lunch and having you know chuck bryant and also just some people who are Attending the shows, you know, uh, is pretty wild and pretty fun. Yeah. I mean, I say all this not as a compensated endorser. I paid my own way to get to Max FunCon, and I always do. Like, we're saying this because we truly love the event. And if you thought about going and thought for some reason it might not be for you, I would definitely consider it. It is... It is something I definitely look forward to every year. It's really a shocked. great feeling. Yeah. I was also, like, they just, they run such a professional operation and they bring in so many amazing performers and things. Like, I was thinking about, like, the planning that we were doing for trying to make Greatest Gen Con, like, a mm-hmm. event where we brought people to us rather yeah. than the other way around. And I don't think we could ever get close to that level of 
Awesome. I'm friends with uh, some event producers in Seattle, uh, one of which I mentioned Max Funcon too, and uh, and mentioned that Eric Westra was responsible for its production and yeah. and got like the one thing you always want to hear when you drop someone's name is holy shit, <laughs> and that was the reaction. Like Eric Westra's best in the biz status wow. at this stuff. And, He's got uh, like a rep. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It's. it's uh, it's nice to be in such good hands. It's uh, it is very clear why that is the case. Like that guy runs a tight ship, and uh, is really committed to like everybody getting the most out of it. Yeah, in a cool way. Yeah. Well, should we stop talking about how much fun we just had? And the sooner we can end this episode, the sooner I can stop looking at you. <laughs> I mean. That is the that is the truth. <laughs> That's a hell of a light at the end of this tunnel. Yeah. I wouldn't wish on anybody what you're suffering through right now. Yeah. <laughs> this board game is a real bitch. <laughs> it's a real fucker. <laughs> I think I just stepped on your dog's face on accident. <laughs> Sorry, Dar. That might be the best feeling to carry into Season 2, Episode 18, Profit and Loss. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. That is just a world-class transition, Adam. World-class transition. The episode opens with some pretty fun uh, miniature effects, like a Cardassian ship in distress that is pretty beat up. It's not the galore class battlecruiser that we typically see. It seems like maybe a new model even, which is not always the case with ships. Like, there's a lot of like, oh, we put different nernies and greeblies on a model we already had and said this is like a Tarkelian freighter. It definitely looked related, like, yeah. like a calf to a cow. Right. It's in the Cardassian... Uh, architecture tradition yeah (laughs) and uh it's real beat up it's all uh sparks sparks flying off it and uh wharf lightning all over the place and uh i liked seeing the handoff like the handoff between tractor beams like you could see a process happen there yeah that's one of those things that just kind of makes the station feel like a real place like just have like having details like that worked out yeah and um, they bring this ship in, and uh, off step a bunch of civilian Cardassians, a kind of people we don't see that often. Yeah, some plunging neckline Cardassians <laughs> specifically, right? Yeah, that is an upsettingly scaly decolletage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think uh, it should come as a surprise to anyone, like, how you and I feel about how one should dress as they travel, uh-huh. specifically when they uh, when they air travel commercially. Right. You don't see too many people wear the full-on gown <laughs> on an airplane, and yet uh, it's made the case is made that these guys have have come via transit. Like right. So her her dress choice seemed really odd to me. Yeah, the floor length gown as like and she's piloting this shuttle yeah like i would want a little bit more range of motion i think if i was gonna be i'm gonna guess that there is no pedal situation like to affect yaw on that (laughs) ship like i don't think she's using her feet uh to control anything yeah 
You don't uh, want to get tangled up in that dress. We've taken a couple of stabs at the Star Trek bridge crew game by now, and I don't know if we will have uh, unveiled anything about that yet. But yeah, it's very uh, it's very reassuring that you don't have to do anything with your feet when you're piloting a starship. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> it's complicated enough, man. This woman, Natima, is objectively beautiful like she's scaled up as much as yeah. as she, any other cardassian she, but like her beauty shines right through that loaf yeah yeah she's got uh some great charisma she's accompanied by uh two of her students this is Recklin and hogue <laughs> uh, <laughs> you pointed out that hogue is an actor we've seen before yeah on uh, star trek <laughs> Uh, Hogue, if you just look through the scales, you will realize that he played Govel, the dopey Borg from <laughs> Descent Part 2. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's got a real, like, dopey alien face, and they were just like, hey, like, this is also a dope. <laughs> he's been dope typecast. <laughs> um, a little bit of a stretch to imagine that this dopey guy is, is the leader of a... Yeah. Uh, political movement. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't seem like the type of guy who could wire together an improvised explosive. Yeah, like the Che Guevara v- version of his shirt is just like, is, it just looks like nothing because <laughs> his face has too few features to like, <laughs> to like come out as a face if you, if you posterize it like that. Oh man, now I have in my head the, uh, the, the Che shirt that is Govel. <laughs> <laughs> oh man and just like resist yeah on the bottom we just that's the only kind of merch we put in the max fun store ever again it was like we had so much fun getting criticized for our first che shirt yeah <laughs> we're just really leaning into failure yeah our uh our, our first friendly fire shirt was a uh was erica from red dawn as che yeah uh, so um and then Recklin is also kind of a, a that lady. Yeah, who I recognized by voice alone. Yeah. Uh, deep under all those scales is Susan, George's uh, lady friend from Seinfeld. Lily? No, Susan. No, no, it's Lily. I think I know my own name. I was sad that Recklin never caught anybody eating a chocolate eclair out of the garbage. <laughs> Attitudinally, you can see a lot of Susan in Recklin in this episode. They've already tried to kill us once. They're sure to try again. Her voice is really distinctive, and yeah. it's not, I don't know if I ever like thought about her voice when she was playing Susan, because I guess maybe everybody on Seinfeld has a very distinctive voice, so maybe it kind of seems somewhat normal, but... And I don't know if it's just due to repetition that, like, uh, that I su- I've seen so much Seinfeld so yeah. repeatedly yeah. that, like, she she may have a, a totally unremarkable voice in most ways outside of uh, how often I've seen all the episodes she's in. These two characters I was convinced were, like, going to be lineless extras in this first scene because they come off the ship and they just keep cutting to this awkward two shot of them like observing as commander cisco goes like yeah chief o'brien will fix up your ship the direction to hogue must have been like can you give me a little more of that govel stink that (laughs) that we've come to admire out of you like the sense memory i want is like what it felt like to go poop as govel (laughs) What did it feel like when Lore really ripped into you in front of the rest of the group that one time? You're right, because they, they do a lot of uh, cutaways in this scene, and 
<laughs> he, he's not inspiring a lot of confidence. No, no. Especially when we're told to believe that he is like a heavy. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't uh, like the student movement at Cardassian Cal Berkeley. Yeah, <laughs> lining up behind this guy is a little bit implausible. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we also, before... We- he looks like the guy who can't work the megaphone during the demonstration, and it's like totally <laughs> squeaky and feedbacky. <laughs> like he's telling people to throw themselves on the, on the cogs and levers yeah. of the machinery of, of capitalism, <laughs> but the, the machinery of capitalism in the megaphone is fighting back. <laughs> we also get a scene in the bar with Bashir and Garrick. Is it in the bar or is it in the replimat? I d- yeah, I don't know. Uh, they're it's hanging- not shot wide is yeah. the problem. They're hanging out in a public space somewhere promenade adjacent. It seems like their regular hang yeah. is still happening. Yeah. I don't know if I would like keep a lunch date, a, st- a standing lunch date with somebody that spends their time arguing pro-fascism stuff. <laughs> Like this. Like, it really shows you how few friends Bashir has, yeah. if that's the case. I wonder if it's just such a curiosity for somebody that lives in the Federation. Like, really? You, you, you're you pro-fascism. Unbelievable. Good job by Bashir, at least, to have all these hangs in a public space. Like, you definitely <laughs> don't want to go to a second location with Garrick. No, you never go to a second location with a disgraced Cardassian spy. Right. <laughs> Yeah, they do the fun, like, Garrick is speaking in riddles thing a little bit, and, you know, am I am I an outcast? Am I a spy? I'm an outcast spy. ¿Por qué no los dos? I won't admit to either thing. And that's all going on when Quark and Odo have a little interaction at the bar, and Odo comes in announcing that he's uh, caught caught wind that Quark is in possession of an illegal miniature cloaking device. And Quark is kind of in the process of of denying or explaining this away when when Natima and gang come down the promenade and he like he he spots her and he runs out and it's like it's one of those you know, one of those TV tropes where he's like, I'm so glad to see you and she just smacks him in the face. Yeah. And it's blocked really fun, too, because, yeah. like, it makes it easier for her to do the stunt because of how it's shot. Like, you, sometimes you get slap scenes or punch scenes that are shot in profile. Yeah. And, uh, and that's a lot harder to pull off it, unless you're a professional. But what it does by, by rotating that center line a little bit, you make it so that you yeah. don't really have to come close to slapping him to sell the effect. Yeah, so like we're looking at the back of Quark's head and she's coming toward him and she might be like six feet away from him when she right. throws that swing. Yeah, there's some lens compression there too that yeah. makes them look closer. Yeah, and uh, Quark uh, declares to Odo that this is the happiest day of his life as he rubs his injured nose. <laughs> Yeah, which really discloses the way their relationship got physical (laughs) and the way Quark kind of likes that. That's some kinky shit, Quark. Yeah. I would never have, uh, I would never have guessed that about him. There is a lot of touching between them through the ep and, and like the canonical pleasure center for the Ferengi is the ears and you get a lot of like circling of his ears with her hands. Yeah. And he always like, he always like lets a little sigh go as she does it. And later on you see the equivalent for the Cardassian, which is the sensitivity of those scales. 
when really? he when he touches her shoulders, it, it that is a definite pleasure Ooh, center little, for her. A little bit of an erogenous zone. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder if uh, I wonder if she just got uh, a single scale somewhere else. Like, is that a <laughs> does, does she have a scaly man in a canoe? I always have a, a tough time finding that one scale. I know. I'm not positive. It's really there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've heard it's great. <laughs> People are saying all the time how great it is. <laughs> and I and I just pretend like I know. <laughs> so that's Do you our cold. Feel like open. it's hard for Quark to give oral because of his ears. Ooh. But maybe it's like as much good for him as it is for the lady because right. there's some like contact. Yeah. The other thing that I was like obsessed with imagining in this was what comes out if a, a Ferengi and a Cardassian have a baby. Yeah. Like how like that's Two weird loafs that don't necessarily taste great together. No, no, like you gotta you gotta wonder what the dominant genetic. Uh, yeah, is it gonna just be like an orange Cardassian, or is it gonna be a gray Ferengi with scales, or is it gonna be? Like, you get some scaly ears. What's the midpoint between those two colors? Even beige, burnt umber. <laughs> <laughs> We come back from the title sequence, and Quark is trying to make nice with Natima. And this is like just continuing the same action. It's not like days later. It's right. uh, he's like running down the promenade, going like, "Let me give you a drink." And he he convinces her and her students to join him in the bar. She's saying that she's like a professor of political ethics, and uh, and the two students are like the leaders of a of a movement to remove political power from the Cardassian military. Like, the, the military is in charge of everything on Cardassia, and they're uh, looking to change the way that works. Neither of these students are hot for Cardassian teacher, though, which I thought was an interesting choice, right? Uh, her, her attractiveness is only made clear through Quark's perspective. Yeah. And for as powerful of a person as she is in her field of study, like you never get the sense that Recklin and Hogue, uh, you know, like we see this trope all the time, the, the, profe- the celebrity professor mm-hmm. that everyone just fawns over. Right. There is no fawning about her except from Quark. Yeah, like they fawn in a pretty like chaste uh, in a professional professional way, way. Yeah. yeah and um but he is like there's no talk of her fields medal for example <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean in a weird way it's kind of it's kind of playing with the trope of the like older scientist and the yeah younger charge that he because it's almost always a he brings with him yeah in, i mean in tng did like hit that pinata like 18 times yeah um but it's uh, it's not quite that in this episode, and I felt like this episode really felt like like the directing and the writing and stuff really felt like distinct in a way that I agree. Uh, I was like, oh, this show is like kind of figuring itself out right now. There's a there's a wonder that happens up front that is like 
very sophisticated. Like there's a there's a turn around a corner, yeah, and maybe a half a page of dialogue and like some moves, right? Yeah, this is because the scene when Odo is confronting Quark about the yeah, and the camera never cuts. It's like and there's thirty extras in the scene. There's a lot of like movement and handoffs too, right? right? Like there are things being handed to other people and. It's it's one thing to shoot a oneer where it's just dialogue and two people sitting at a table like yeah. going back and forth, but it is so quite another for Odo to come from the promenade and turn the corner into a totally different li- like so much of it is about lighting, right? Right. And keeping that lighting continuity throughout is right. really difficult, especially in two totally separate locations. Yeah, when you're shooting something like this, you really uh, you really have to think carefully about when you're going to have a long take like this because it is challenging for every member of the crew. Like, I'm assuming that was a steady cam shot, right? Or do you think it was on a dolly? Yeah, I mean, it could have been curved dolly track around that the bulkhead yeah. that Odo walks around. I mean, either way, like if you're operating steady cam, it's fucking exhausting to operate yeah. it like for yeah. long stretches. If you're operating a dolly, that's like there's a grip that has to get all of the moves timed perfectly. The actors have to be timed perfectly. Like they have to be doing all of their little actions the same way in each take. Yeah. So that it all like, you know, it's it's a lot of people that need to be kind of it's like playing music, you know, like all yeah. of the all of the parts need to be working together. And uh Yeah, like that I don't know how long ago that episode was, but you pointed out a background actor as your Shimoda, like one one background actor fed another background actor. Yeah. Try to imagine a choice being made like that by an, by a background actor in a scene like this. Like, it must be done every time at exactly the same moment. Right. And if you're going to do 10 takes, that person is going to be like, <laughs> stop giving me this weird stage tofu. One thing I noticed about this scene and in a scene that happened earlier is the survival of the plastic pour spout as a thing that's attached to the top of a liquor <laughs> yeah. bottle. Like, big pour spout survives yeah. long into the future. Yeah. And it's definitely the plastic pour spout and not the, like, fancier looking metal kind. Yeah. Quark is, uh, has a, you know, he's a thrifty man. A, uh, a bartender friend of mine, when she closed up her bar, would stick... Uh, golf tees into all of the spouts to stop the, <laughs> to stop the gradual evaporation oh, evaporation uh, every night. Like, even though it wasn't, I mean, it had to be very negligible, the yeah. amount of evaporation that would occur, but, uh, like, that was part of the process. And it was also a great uh, telegraph to the bar that, like, we're about to close. <laughs> like, without having to say it, it yeah, was nice. That's fun. So, Quark makes, uh, what is it, Sumerian Sunrise? I think it's a Sumerian Sunset, which is a which is a beverage that Deanna Troy requested, yeah, uh, especially it, from right? Data. Yeah, one Sumerian Sunset made in the traditional style. I like that Cork and Data have the same beverage game. Yeah, especially because uh, in the TNG version, it was made very clear how difficult that cocktail was to make. And yeah, Cork is like distracted when he's making it. He's not measuring out his ingredients, and he just makes it off the counter like <laughs> yeah. he makes it in the glass right. which is uh awesome i said i didn't drink these anymore doesn't seem like it would be a very enjoyable cocktail because it's not chilled at all yeah that's served with ice no i don't i don't fuck with that i don't want a room temperature drink i've been increasingly icing down drinks that are uh generally not supposed to be iced down because my preference is 
colder as, than as cold as it can be. <laughs> yeah, you and I talked about this last night. Like we got a couple premium ciders at a bodega down the way, and like stick a stick some ice in that glass. Put a handful of ice in the glass. It's gonna be delicious. Yeah, yeah. Same thing with a, a white wine or a rosé. Yeah. During this scene, like Cork is is trying very desperately to get Natima to cotton back to him and she's quite resistant to it and uh he he manages to like convince her to shoo her students away so it can just be the two of them um but this happens just before garrick and bashir finish up whatever they were doing and they walk through the bar which i guess means they must have been having lunch at the bar yeah there you go there would have been no reason for them to be there otherwise, unless they were having lunch in a hollow sweet simulation of the replomat, which would be like a real fucked up thing to do. <laughs> let's uh, let's do the replomat, but everybody but us is nude. <laughs> <laughs> they walk through, and uh, Garrick's poker face game not particularly strong. <laughs> They do that sort of thing that two spies do almost, where there's like the the nod, like a a a doff of the cap, yeah. but there is no cap. Yeah, tip of the fedora to you, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, you working? And the fact that Garrick is present, uh, I don't think that they know who he is, but the fact that any Cardassian is present uh, puts a big fear in. Right. In these three shipmates, and they kind of go into panic mode. They're like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, and right on the heels of this revelation is that their ship was not affected by a a meteor storm. It was, in fact, uh, attacked by other Cardassians. Yeah, the, uh, the meteor damage is, in fact, Cardassian disruptor damage, and uh, they like, they're, like, making the case for leaving as soon as possible and cisco's like sorry like o'brien has a lot more work to do your ship is in really bad shape i think my favorite scene in this episode is this next one where garrick makes it clear through metaphor that natima and her crew are in trouble yeah. using a uh, a fashion uh, <laughs> chord storytelling yeah like this is a hot look right now yeah but like the mullet. Certain people might even think it's objectionable. And then... How do you get bloodstains out of a dress? <laughs> I wonder. He's doing this uh, all to illustrate to Quark how they are thought of on Cardassia. And uh, I thought that a particularly effective illustration was that he ripped the dress he was using as a visual aid for his metaphor. Right. Which, like, to Quark, like, destroying your own inventory. Like, no, no! <laughs> Why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Quark is the guy who who makes Rom after hours like squeeze the bar rag back into some <laughs> bottles. Yeah, pour like, the mats back out into the into the well. Yeah, liquor. <laughs> this made me wonder: like, are the things in Garrick's shop replicated, or are they made by hand, and that's why they're valuable? It's sort of like funny people who call themselves comedians or really good cooks who call themselves chefs like do you get to refer to yourself as a tailor if your clothing is replicated versus being sewn i get the sense that like there's a code to garrick yeah and i don't think he would permit himself the title a tailor. man's got to have a code oh no doubt i don't think he would allow being called a tailor had if he were not a needle and thread style 
Taylor. Yeah. Well, as a chef comedian, uh, <laughs> I have to say I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as someone who is reluctant to accept any sort of title of any kind, <laughs> I have a real problem with that. <laughs> what do you think about the writing of this? Like, I was I was watching this scene, going like, "This is like a." This is a simple enough metaphor that I don't think it's going to go over anybody's head, but it's also like a very extended metaphor, like a much more extended metaphor than you normally get in television. And I bet I bet there was some debate in the writer's room about like how long of a monologue they could write with this metaphor as as the like driving force in it. Especially because, you know, so often you see a scene like this with that with the lengthy metaphor that eventually gets clipped by the person they're talking to. Like, all right, I, I get, get it. it. Yeah, yeah. Fashion is political belief. Right. And going out of fashion is getting killed. Quark never does that to his to his credit because I think he's been in the game for a long time. Like, he's all right speaking in code. I mean, don't get it twisted. I do some dirt, too, but I ain't never put my gun on nobody who wasn't in the game. And being spoken to in code. Yeah, I think that these two characters, like, engage in the most subterfuge of any two characters on the show. Yeah. But they they haven't had that many scenes together, so this is pretty fun to see them kind of go toe-to-toe. So why'd you step up on this? Quark is willing, at least outwardly to sacrifice everything for for Natima's safety. Right. Like his his love seems very genuine and they never uh reveal what bad thing he did to make her leave. Um I guess cheating maybe? Well, he uh he imbe- he took some of her money or like money from the company that she worked for. Oh, really? Yeah. I I totally missed that part. He admits to that. And his defense is, uh, it was of an amount that was so small that, like, it wouldn't be missed. It was that kind of thing, like, taking an extra dollar or two out of the till Uh to go get some lunch. Like, he he really downplays that quite a bit, but this is a... He set uh, up uh, an office space and or Superman-style computer program that used rounding errors to enrich himself. Yeah, and uh, it it didn't really ma- the amount didn't really matter to Natima. It was the, the violation of trust. Yeah, that's interesting. The so uh, right around this point, a Cardassian battleship pulls up to the station, and it's like weapons hot and in attack posture, and they have to like put shields up, and they're not com- like the. Cardassians aren't responding to hails, and uh, it's one of those great Garrick entrances where they're like, what the fuck is going on? And he's like, I believe I can help you with that, Commander. It felt very like Wesley shows up on the bridge, <laughs> like out of spaceness sort yeah, of thing. Right. And he kind of like hips Cisco to the whole situation, like these are wanted political dissidents. And he kind of guidance him, doesn't he? Like the way Garrick... Garrick is given latitude to come up to ops and and ask for this kind of audience. Yeah, and th- we've given we've been given no reason as viewers to accept the idea that he would be permitted to do that anytime he wants. Yeah, like what happens? Do you get on that elevator and say ops, and it just takes you there? 
Right. I mean, even in a hotel, you need to like use yeah, your tap your key card. Yeah. Does he have one of those honey sticks to get around the station in ways that? If he's the spy we believe him to be, I'm sure he's got like a janitor's key ring. You think uh, like a week later, Cisco's like asleep at night and like sits up in bed, like how the fuck <laughs> did he get up there that time? Yeah, <laughs> we gotta look into that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and you know he's like saying like don't kill the messenger. I'm just I'm just passing this along. But the Cardassians are very keen to have these people back, mm-hmm. and Cisco's position is like this is a Bajoran station. And they haven't committed any crime, so there's no reason for us to extradite them. Like, the Bajorans don't like you. Yeah. And uh, I liked how much implied politics was taking place in this episode. Like, I don't usually love Bajoran politics or, uh, or just, like, machinations outside the storyline in Star Trek that much, but mm-hmm. in this episode, it seemed to be really effective. The idea that like, like every time Cisco comes in, he's kind of giving you an update on like, like really like big forces that have been moving. Yeah. And, um, he's not the main character of the episode, but he's important in a way that, um, you know, like there've been some episodes this season where it's like, does Cisco have a position on this show or, yeah, <laughs> Um, Dax back to total obscurity yeah. in this episode. Back in the pot, Dax. Whatever happened to that mini cloaking device, Ben? I imagine it will come into play. Uh- <laughs> and it does in this next scene. It's a uh, Quark rolls into Natima's condo with a proposition like he's giving her a way out quirk's goal is i have like an ace in the hole and if i play my cards right i can get the girl back and also like do something good yeah and not get in trouble from a legal standpoint he knows that the only way to get her to stay is to drive a wedge through her and her students yeah and there's a there's a confluence of things that really could make that possible yeah. while also making him the hero that he wants to be for her to get back into her good graces. When I travel and I like arrive at my destination, I really like to take off the clothes I've been traveling with and take a shower. Yeah. Clean up. Even if it's Fist the same with your toes. even if it's the same day, like if we're going out to dinner or something, yeah. like I don't want to be like in plane clothes. Yeah. Uh, in airplane clothes. But this episode seems to all take place within like 35 minutes of them stepping off that transport because they have not changed. They have not made any effort to like get no. comfortable. No. <laughs> like, uh, they're all like the, all of the. You ever travel anywhere with no bags? Like just for a, a single day, like a fly down on a fly back? Roderick uh, told the story recently on Roderick on the line about leaving for San Francisco in the morning and coming back in the evening and taking nothing with him. Yeah. Which I found. Really delightful. It's it seems like that sort of situation for Natima. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe she doesn't want to go back to her ship because it's getting worked on. Yeah, yeah. A lot of dust in the air. You know, yeah. it's just unpleasant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like the you know, Quark has a has a hang with her two students. Um, what are their names? Hogue and Recklin. And Recklin. And it's almost like a parent trap style plot he's trying to hatch. Are you trying to parent trap us? No. 
Oh. She's like, Man. I'll give you the cloaking device if you convince Natima to fall back in love with me. And that's the deal. Like, I don't want any money. I just want her. And they're like, how the fuck are we? She's our teacher. Like, how are we going to convince her to stay with you? Yeah. It sort of becomes kind of a moot point, right? Right, because the three of them are detained by Odo not long after this because there has been an exchange proposed between yeah. the Cardassians and the Bajorans. And we are reminded in this circumstance that the Federation occupies the Bajoran space and uh, is subject to their law and yeah. their decisions. Does not call the shots. Like, yeah. Cork and Natima are talking over the plan and he's like got he got the thermal detonator or whatever the cloaking device yeah oh yeah that's what it is <laughs> those two things do very different things yeah but they look exactly the same <laughs> both of them will make you disappear from <laughs> sensors <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in very different ways yeah and she's like like the scene is so like lit because she's she actually shoots him for it but then she feels so bad about shooting him that they get into like a Riker and Guinan level yeah. talking hot shit to each other. Yeah. Like, You're a woman, Natima. Believe me, I know. It's not right for you to be alone. <laughs> I can almost feel like Will Riker was like pulled in to write some dialogue for this scene. <laughs> I really like the phaser shot scene because it it's blocked in such a way that Armin Shimmerman is given the opportunity to do his own stunt because of the piece of furniture there. Yeah. Like, he's shot and he rolls over the tabletop onto the mat that's clearly behind. Yeah. But if that piece of furniture weren't there, I think they'd probably go wide and stuntman it. Right. Uh, because there's there's no there's no soft landing Yeah. Uh, without the furniture. That's got to be, like, even more of a, of a risk when you're working with an actor in that much loaf. Because if he, like, knocks one of the ears off... Right. That's, like, six hours that they have to pause to get, yeah. get everything back together. Like, right. That probably ends your day, right? Yeah, it's got to. <laughs> but it's a good stunt. And, like, I love when, like, they hear Odo at the door. He, like, kicks the kicks the, uh, the thermal the detonator under the, under the table. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Nobody here but us chickens. And uh, she gets arrested. And, um... The way Cisco explains it is the Bajoran government found a way to get a bunch of, I guess, Bajoran prisoners of war released by the Cardassians. Yeah. Like, and it's like a, a pretty high exchange rate. It's like a dozen uh, prisoners for three Cardassians. The attitudes involved in this entire circumstance are apologetic. When Odo comes in and detains uh, Natima, he... He's sorry to be taking her. Yeah. And when Cisco explains the circumstance to them in the brig, he is just as apologetic. Cisco's like, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep trying to figure out a way to not have this go down because I don't like it at all." But my hands are tied. Yeah. And that made me think a lot. Like, what is the like? Does the Federation feel culpability for this like pretty unjust thing that will have a net effect of like further distancing the Cardassians from? Like, the potential of being friendly with the Federation? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, not to cut to the end too much, but the one thing I thought about at the end of the episode was, like, there are Bajoran prisoners that 
are on a ship on their way to them that I guess they turn around halfway through. Like, how deeply disappointing is that to think you're free from prison? Yeah. This is great. I've been rotting in that prison for six years. Woo! Yeah. yeah. Wait a second. Yeah. Are what we are turning guys, around? What are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah. Pretty dark. Yeah, that's fucked up. I think it's interesting that uh, unlike a Constitution class starship, you can discharge a beam weapon on the station without an alarm going off. Yeah. Or anything, really. I right. thought Odo's appearance was going to be in response to the weapons discharge, but it was not. And there was no pile of mashed potatoes yeah. with a whisk stuck in, in it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all the evidence I need to know that somebody set off a phaser. A pile of mashed potatoes with a whisk in it. <laughs> I don't know what made me think of this, but there's a moment where uh, Quark is paranoid about Odo being around. And so he like... <laughs> He sticks his finger into a beverage and tastes it. Yeah. As if to know what Odo tastes like. Gross. <laughs> like, I would know if that's Odo. Yeah. <laughs> and he, like, beats his hand on a tabletop. Yeah. As would if that, that would hurt? hurt him? Yeah, I don't know. Unclear. But a super fun scene. I that mean, is... a rock fell on Odo one time, so yeah. maybe it would hurt him. Maybe. Would that table be as susceptible to pain what if uh, they were just sitting there and somebody came out and was like, oh, who ordered the fajitas? And they set the super hot skillet down on it. He's like, ow, ow. That would be great. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, they're in prison and Quirk comes to Odo to make an appeal. And this scene was very interesting to me, too, because it's kind of the chaotic neutral character right. trying to talk the lawful good character into... A, a plan of action. This better be important, Quark. It is. And it's a long dialogue scene. Like, it's, you know, when you're learning, like, screenwriting 101, it's like every scene is about, like, what, like, there are two characters talking, one wants one thing. You have to let Natima and her students go. One wants another thing. Do I? It has all of, like, the same internal structure as an entire episode. It's like there's a conflict, rising action, and resolution right. within each scene, ideally. And this was a long, satisfying scene where two characters just had a conversation and agreed to free the prisoners. I'll free them, Quark, but only in the name of justice. These two characters are great together, for especially, especially for the amount of time they're on screen together. These two actors are great together. Yeah. They're vibrating at the same frequency in a way that's very satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of something that like, I feel like, I feel like they had with the TNG cast in later seasons, but th this is so early. Like they, yeah. they just have like a great on-screen chemistry. They seem to do these pair-offs a lot in a way that I'm not sure. Yeah. Like in TNG, it took a very long time for, for the pair-offs to happen. Yeah. But there's Bashir Garrick, Quark and Odo very clearly and uh and Dax Kira yeah and the resolution that they come to is Odo is like literally just going to like turn the force field off and like look the other way while Quark runs out of there with the, the three prisoners because he knows that the prisoners are if they get sent back to Cardassia are just going to be put to death and he's like right. like I'm about justice and that doesn't seem like justice to me justice that was going to be my next suggestion. What you don't get at all in this episode is the scene with Kira 
where she becomes the chaos agent and the negative right. heavy on anything yeah. Cardassian related. My ex-boyfriend is on that prisoner transport. Right. It feels like the 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 uh, the conflict is so directly between two things that I was kind of missing the third element from her specifically. Right. That's just one of those like there's not enough time yeah. in a yeah. in a 45 minute episode things, but that's what her character is there for yeah. and it does feel weird sometimes when they don't use use her for that. You, know? you get you get just the kiss of that up top. Like again, like I think what Nana Visitor does best maybe is what she does nonverbally. Like when she yeah. tractors the ship into the station, you can tell she is really battling something inside her about how she feels upon their arrival. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like they kind of put all of our main casts women in the terracotta pots in this episode so that they can have two other women but it's 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 a love interest you know it's like it's kind of the same it's unfortunately that kind of simplistic writing for women that so much tv suffers for and i think dax and kira both had interesting things to say about this situation and didn't really you know, like we're like I think this could have been a two-parter. Honestly, yeah, it's an interesting enough premise, and getting those points of view in there would have been awesome. Yeah, I agree. So, Especially because those points of view are so strong, right? I mean, there is there is no mealy mouthedness about <laughs> any of that. It would really add a substantial amount of conflict, right? And like just in the tractor beam scene, like you see it in Nanavizator's performance, so it's there, you know? Yeah. Like, she knows it's there. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't the fucking writers know it's there? <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> uh, so, Quark is, like, uh, is like taking him to their ship, and uh, he's like, you know, this is kind of a garbage cloaking device, and uh, it's probably only going to work for 15 minutes, so, like, plug it in, turn it on, leave the station, and go to warp, and... It's like the charging cable you're forced to buy at an airport from a brand you've never heard yeah, of. Like, yeah. I'm just hoping this gets me through the flight. Like, the cable lights up? Yeah. Like, w- does that, like, make it put less power into the phone? Like, why? What the fuck? Also, w- why is it $40? <laughs> I would prefer if my earbuds weren't purple. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want my my earbuds that I'm buying in an airport to say something about my drug use lifestyle. (laughs) I never knew affliction made headphones. (laughs) So they get to the cargo bay or whatever where the ship is and Quark is like, all right, guys, off you go and opens the door and there is Garrick who... Has been offered by like the gull that is serving aboard that attack ship that showed up, presumably. Like I don't, they never like explain how this guy got aboard the station, which is another yeah. illustration of like how much is going on, like right. at way higher levels of pay grade. Right. Um. But like he comes into the shop and is like, "Hey, Garrick, if you if you waste those political dissidents, like maybe we can do something about the fact that you're not welcome on Cardassia anymore. This relationship between Garrick and uh, and Gull Turan is one of my favorite parts of the episode. Yeah. Because it's so clearly like, uh, <laughs> you finally made captain, but you're a real piece of shit, Gull Turan. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> like, the professional animosity between them is just dripping. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, like... Definitely were, like, two dudes up for the same promotion at some point in the past. And, yeah. you know, like, Turan is, like, partly there just to gloat. And yeah. 
he's also there to ask Garrick, like, so, like, are you, do you get to call yourself a tailor even though you replicated all these <laughs> yeah. suits and dresses? Do you think of yourself as a tailor or is that just kind of something you aspire to? <laughs> Going to lord your success over a vanquished enemy is a pretty, yeah. is, a, is, is a move that bespeaks a certain weakness of character. So, like, Gulteran is like a guy that is very fun to hate. Yeah. And, uh, in that, in the final escape. He's efficiently escapes. hateable. Yeah. Like, he's not in the episode very much at all. Right. But the second he gets vaporized yeah. by, by Garrick when he shows up at the cargo bay, it's like, yeah, fuck Turan. Like, yeah. Go Garrick. <laughs> yeah, there's this moment here at the cargo bay where, where it's a little bit circular firing squatty. Like, they're holding up phasers at each other. You're not sure what the outcome is going to be because these sides want different things. Yeah. This scene directed by Quentin Tarantino. Right. <laughs> Gold Turan gets uh, gets vaporized and it just leaves like a pile of mashed potatoes the whisk in it. <laughs> Gold Turan also like just not good at his job when he disarms Garrick he doesn't know that Gar- notice that Garrick is holding a phaser in his other hand yeah it's not even concealed like they don't directed even show- by John Woo yeah they don't even show that Garrick is like slipping it behind his back or anything yeah. it's just, it just like Garrick had two phasers and he only handed that guy one and that guy is fucked yeah yeah <laughs> but there's like a pretty tearful goodbye between uh natima and quark you know it's a this isn't your fight quark i've got to go like this is the most important thing yeah but when i come back and cardassia is a is a democratic society i'm going to fuck the shit out of you yeah you earned a real hot bang <laughs> this time <laughs> I'm going to throw you the Antifa bang of your young life. (laughs) Like you mentioned earlier, the episode abruptly ends after this. Yeah. And there is, up until now and after, so much happening. Like, Gulteran's ship is there. Right. And it is without him. And someone's going to ask eventually what (laughs) happened. Yeah. Did you guys, um, anybody seen Gulteran or... You know, <laughs> there's that untied up thread. There's the thread that involves the Bajoran uh, ship full of prisoners that evidently gets turned around. There's the escape of this ship under yeah. cloak. This would be the, like there were some really cool miniature effects at the beginning of this episode. It almost like sets it up to be a very exciting end. And like for all of the back and forth about the cloaking device, like there isn't a cloaking device. Oh, there is, and he's going to give it right. to them. We never. It's like. Like, I was so wet for that cloaking device to get used, and when it didn't, a little disappointing. Yeah. Uh, did you like the episode, though? I did. Um, I think it has flaws, but, you know, we've talked a little bit recently about how Quark is kind of a bad guy, and this recomplicates him, you know? It... Like, he's definitely doing it for self-serving reasons, but he is doing something that seems, like, really good and noble in this episode. And uh, the fact that he has a heart is something we don't get to see every every time. Yeah, because so often... I mean, I think uh, Natima says it earlier. Like, he calls him out on the emotions he's displaying as as conflated with he's conflating love and lust yeah and we see quark demonstrate lust quite a bit throughout the run of the show 
But to see him embody sincere love is a different different read for him. Yeah. It looks good on him. And it's it plays with the trope of Odo knowing that Quark is up to something in a new fun way where like the thing Quark is up to being critical to the success of the mission like Odo looks the other way on what is described as like a fairly serious crime like right. hey you're going to live the rest of your life in a labor camp yeah. crime so that's pretty interesting it's interesting to see Odo like make a very personal calculation about compromising on like the official rules yeah did you like the episode i did you know this this episode offers up a very convenient point to turn into a two-parter, too, yeah. and that it didn't <laughs> was disappointing to me, but it's hard to say you don't like an episode for what it didn't give you. What this episode does give is a lot, Yeah, and it's got... It introduces uh, non-combatant Cardassians yeah. uh, who are hoping for a better future. And, is Garrick and- the only Cardassian we've seen in... Like the only adult Cardassian we've seen in civilian clothing so yeah. far. Yeah, so it's interesting to see a little bit more into the political machinations of what's happening yeah. on Cardassia. It's I mean, it's it's neat to see a redemptive storyline for Quark. Yeah. Uh and and I did really like the episode. I thought it was fun. Well, do you want to see if we have any priority one messages? I do really like Priority One messages. I think they're fun. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first Priority One message is of a commercial nature. It goes like this. Do you want to live in a Star Trek universe? So do we. But we'd prefer to solve humanity's major societal ills without having to go through World War III first. That's why we're asking you to check out Pineal Express. It's an educational podcast that explores, through an academic lens, the serious collective action problems facing our species. You can find us wherever you normally get your podcasts, or you can go to Pineal Express, that's Pineal, as in the brain's pineal gland. P-I-N-E-A-L Express. Subscribe to Pineal Express, the podcast that isn't ready to give up on humanity's potential, or uh, maybe it just exists to make me slip up and say Penal Express. (laughs) That actually sounds like a really cool show. I want to listen to that. Pineal? Yeah, as in pineal gland, Adam. Pineal? And I knew that because it's on the copy right here in front of me. It even gives you pronunciation notes. That's that's helpful. It's fairly obvious how to pronounce it. It's uh... I might have said pineal, <laughs> but I'm an idiot. <laughs> Watch me be super wrong about how you pronounce it. That sounds pretty great. I think if there's one thing that our own podcast has proven, it's that uh, there's an audience for everything. Yeah. And... You can get interested in anything. It's like a good documentary. You don't really have to care about the subject matter to derive a lot of enjoyment out of it. I'm down. Pineal Express. Pineal Express. No stops. (laughs) Yeah. Taking the fast train to Braintown. (laughs) 
Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. The message is from Captain DeSoto. What? The message is for anybody. <laughs> the message goes like this. Anybody. <laughs> End of message. <laughs> Ben, I asked Daniel. Uh, Daniel's our great friend over at Maximum Fun who who handles the Priority One messages. I asked him specifically when this one was sent in. And the reason I asked was because uh, the word captain was spelled C-A-P-T-A-I-T-N. <laughs> so you just assumed that they didn't mean to spell it that way? Well, a couple of reasons. I, I think there's a... There's a there's a vibe to this message that makes me think that maybe it was sent late at night by someone who was enjoying some beverages. Yeah, and the word anybody is spelled with lots of N's and Y's, but there's a U in there in the middle. Yeah, right. <laughs> both times, which makes me think that they probably copy and pasted it from the to field to the message field. Any you booty. <laughs> <laughs> What a good message. That's the kind of message I like to receive, you know? That's right. That message got something for anybody. Even you. All right. Well, if you'd like to uh, if you'd like to get a priority one message read on the air by two idiots like us, you go to maximumfun.org/jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. It's a great way to uh, support the show. Well, uh, wasting your money well drunk. Any you, buddy! A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. 
Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Shimoda. I'm glad we're doing this in person because it's a visual Shimoda. Okay. I didn't write down the time code, but you shouldn't need one. It's one of the very first scenes of the episode. Uh, if you scroll forward to the wide shot where Natima, Raquel, and Hogue uh, enter the cargo bay of Deep Space Nine, uh-huh. there, uh, there's clearly a couple of engineers there. Yeah. Ready to hop in and work on on the <laughs> ship. One of those engineers is clearly carrying like a Stanley coffee container <laughs> as if like, we're going to bring engineers to meet you, but we're also going to offer some hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> and that guy just read to me as the hospitality guy. There must be an ensign hospitality on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. It's kind of a hotel, you know? I don't know why my eyes just locked onto him immediately and that Stanley <laughs> Thermos as, as like, oh yeah, like that's got to be a big part of meeting someone yeah. in cargo. Just watching this scene complete, it's not that guy, but the other engineer that boards the ship with O'Brien. So yeah. he's still waiting there like, yeah. would, you, would you like a refreshing beverage? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that guy. It's a good guy. Uh, did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I did, Adam. Um, mine is Garrick and, uh, I guess really Andrew Robinson for a bit of sure. business that, uh, he engages in as a, as an actor, you know, like acting is all about making choices and we've made some fun of Garrick's uh, bona fides as a tailor. There's the scene where the uh, the gull shows up to taunt him and try and convince him to to do all three uh, yeah. political escapees 
starts with him like using his teeth to bite an errant thread off the shoulder of a of a, a sport coat that he's putting on a mannequin. Yeah, and I loved that. Like I laughed out loud when he did it, and uh, I just thought it was like such a such a real thing and such a like a non obvious thing. Like I cannot imagine it was written in the script. Like Garrick bites the coat. Yeah, like we, yeah. you would never write that down, no. but it was great. I fucking loved that. Agreed. There are a lot of non-verbal things happening in this episode that that grow characters. Yeah. Yeah, grow them in a fun and cool way. Yeah. Well, do you want to see what's coming up on the next episode, Adam? Yeah, we got to do that. The next episode is season two, episode 19, Blood Oath. Dax risks her life and her future with Starfleet to fulfill a blood oath made with three aged Klingons. Some Klingon olds <laughs> going to be in this episode. You got to believe that her life is so long that when you when you uh, put a career track in jeopardy, <laughs> like the consequence for that could be a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. The Netflix description is, the relative calm of Deep Space Nine is shattered by the arrival of three Klingon warriors. <laughs> that really implies a totally different story. It's like uh, if there's an Airbnb on your street. Yeah. Like, here come the Klingons. <laughs> How much longer do we have to deal with this shit? Yeah. I was coming home from a work trip a week or two ago, and I was like loading my suitcases up the stairs in front of the house that I rent. And somebody just drove by and yelled out the window, Airbnb! And I had to admit, I kind of did look like I was checking into an Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> um, that uh, cuts pretty deep. Yeah, it was like, I was like, no, <laughs> I, I'm i a gentrifier. <laughs> Not that kind of gentrifier, the other kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to see if we're You're going to- You're a fun arguer. <laughs> <laughs> I believe we are on- Let's see. We're on the square of looking at each other during, aren't we? Sure are. Otherwise known as uh, square 56. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I suppose I'll roll some some dice. One die to see what we're doing next, right? I'm going to look at you during this dice roll. Make yeah. sure things are on the up and up. We'll make some like weird, significant eye contact. What a, we don't really have much risk here, though. Well... I don't think we can hit anything. The furthest we can move is to square 62, so... This is one of the rare... Oh, 62 actually is a pretty big deal, because it plunges oh, us shit. down to square 18. Yeah. So, uh, hold on to your butts. And we hit a five. Okay. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. So we are still at risk yeah. of hitting 62, but we moved on to square 61. Regular old episode. We're always in a little bit of danger here, I Ben. Think, I think we have enough time on this uh, visit of yours to Los Angeles that the next episode, though, will also probably be a looking at each other during. Yeah, let's double this up. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, well, that will be... You have plenty more beer left in your fridge, <laughs> and I intend to drink all of it. Yeah, that will be our next ep, and uh, in the meantime... If you uh, like the show and would like to see it go forward into the future and would like to see us be able to tour more and come uh, come see you guys in person, the best way to support is by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate 
and selecting the greatest generation as one of the shows you're supporting. If you get some great benefits out of that in lots of bonus content that is only available to donors. And uh, there are other ways to support as well. You can tell a friend that you like the show and encourage them to listen. Yeah, I mean, one way I didn't even think of until right now is like the purchase of a ticket to one of our... Uh, tour stops is a great way to encourage us to keep touring yeah that's true uh we've had a couple of shows sell out and by the time this is out we've announced a whole bunch of new dates right so uh get on that we should thank adam ragusia for our theme music and dark materia for our uh original theme music which is still a big part of the show we should thank everybody that uh goes on the facebook group and comments on Twitter and Reddit and, uh, you know, gets the word out by joining the community. And uh, yeah. and uh, with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. That's just too damn loud. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.